We are back. We quote from the New York Times article by Francis X. Kleins, writing about late Senator Eugene McCarthy. Eugene J. McCarthy, the sardonic Senate dove who stunned the nation by appending President Lyndon B. Johnson's re-election drive amid the Vietnam War turmoil of 1968, died early Saturday. He was 89. A courtly, sharp-witted presence in capital politics for a half-century, Senator McCarthy, Democrat Minnesota, died in his sleep at an assisted living home in the Georgetown neighborhood of Washington, where he had lived for the past several years. His son, Michael B. McCarthy, said he died of Parkinson's disease. Eugene McCarthy left his mark in a generation's skepticism toward the willfulness of political leaders. There's only one thing to do. Take it to the country, an angry Senator McCarthy declared in a Capitol corridor 15 months before the 1968 election, after hearing the Johnson administration make its case for the legality of the war. Senator McCarthy, a man of needling wit, ignited one of the most tumultuous years in American political history. With the war consuming scores of thousands of American and Vietnamese lives, he rallied throngs against this costly exercise in futility and stoked a fiery national debate over the World War II model of an all-powerful presidency. He was a disarming presence on the stump as he mixed a wry tone and a hard existential edge in challenging the White House, the Pentagon, and the superpower swagger of modern politicians. We, we thought he was quite, quite an original, and when our friend Roger Peterson um, revealed, when I talked to Roger two years ago, that he'd been, um, been talking to Senator McCarthy on occasion, and uh, they dated back to the 1960s when he was a young volunteer uh, back in Minnesota, um, I suggested that, you know, perhaps he would talk to us on the radio show. Roger said, I'm sure he'd be happy to do that, but I'll call him and let him know that you'll be calling. And we did um, air that interview on May 27th, 2004. The interview was unfortunately marred by, by Senator McCarthy having a, a rather poor phone hookup, but I would like to excerpt about seven minutes of, um, of that interview for you. We were talking about the Vietnam War. Well, were you surprised to see the Vietnam War expand so dramatically as it did in 1965, excuse me, after Johnson had run as a peace candidate against Barry Goldwater? Johnson said he wasn't going to send American boys but I, I guess his advisor said, look, we can do it. You know, we just got to have a lot of troops. And he said in before he got done, about 500,000. Yeah. Johnson thought he was going to uh, he was going to win. Kennedy had only sent in 17,000. It was, it was quite a remarkable expansion, at least three oh, times yeah. what we have in Iraq right now. And then Nixon extended in Cambodia, you know. Right. And extended the bombing and all that. It was just... It was, in some ways, the escalation was like that in, in, in this world, or the, the situation was a little better there. You at least had a defined government you could talk to. Right. What did you think of Nixon, by the way? Well, when the pressure was on, he always kind of became the old Nixon again, you know. I was a little surprised that he recognized China. I was glad he did. The Democrats should have done it, you know. Yeah. His career, the last thing he'd ever do was recognize the Chinese, and it was the last thing he'd ever do. <laughs> <laughs> I made himself an honest man. <laughs> I was invited to a, something for Jerry Ford at the University of Michigan, and people said, well, why did he ask you? Well, I said, I don't know, but I was glad to go because when he was president, he did everything I said I'd do if I got elected president. I said he, he ended the war, and he, he brought 
the troops home, and he extended amnesties with everyone involved. He pardoned Nixon. I don't know that I'd have done that, but uh, but uh, all of the major actions taken by Jerry Ford really brought the war to an end. I, I, I never thought of it, Senator. I guess I guess you're right. But he was quite pleased that I gave him credit for doing what I would have done. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you also served in the Senate with Bobby Kennedy, and I guess you don't carry the same favorable impression of Jack you do of your rival Bobby. Well, uh, Bobby was a different person. He really uh, he didn't really fit in the Senate. He was, he was an executive guy and a justice man. And he was sort of curious. The, uh, when Jack was killed, the whole kind of direction of what we call the Kennedy forces were in setting things up so that Bobby could succeed, and that meant succeeding Lyndon. And it even, as it turned out, it meant Bobby was going to run against Lyndon. The Kennedy forces, so-called, were set on having Bobby succeed to the presidency. And they were also worried about me. I, I didn't think I was a real threat, but they did. Didn't Bobby promise you that he'd stay out of the race if you challenged well, Johnson? Well, question of promise. But you, 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 I talked to him and said, you know, if you're going to run, I won't. But... Uh, I never said that I would support him. I just said, I won't run. And if you don't run, I will run. And he said, I won't run. You entered the, re- the race and the rest is history. Well, that's right. It changed the whole cast of the campaign. We were running it purely against the war in Vietnam. Bobby introduced all kinds of issues that had nothing to do with, uh, with, with Vietnam. I recall so well that that year of election. I would have voted for you had I been old enough. Unfortunately, yeah. I wasn't. Uh, the California primary, I guess, was made winner take all, and a large block of delegates was going to go to either you or Senator Kennedy, That's with which right. to challenge Humphrey in Chicago. Right. It was very close. Kennedy did edge you out, but uh, 24 hours later, he was dead. That's right. The question I have to ask is sort of the what-if question you've probably been asked before. If Bobby hadn't entered the race and you'd taken California, how many delegates would you have taken to challenge Humphrey? Oh, we were we were still short because Humphrey got he got the solid South, you know, and that included uh, Texas, and uh, then he got some of the northern states. And I don't think the party would have would have given ground. They were too committed to the war. Yeah, in spite of Cal- the California primary, it would have been still very tough sledding for you against Humphrey. Yeah, because. Of Party was, you know, they were really committed. They never forgave me. So I don't think they would have done it at the convention, but it would have been quite a convention. And the, the, the story has really never been told. You know, when Bobby came in, he brought with him two dogs. He came into Oregon with two dogs and an astronaut and Rosemary Greer and uh, Rayford Johnson uh-huh. and his mother. We went to Father Flanagan's boys' home on Mother's Day. We were kind of serious about ending the war. We didn't bring our dogs, and didn't bring our mothers, and didn't bring any football players. Right. Now, you were also in the Senate with Ted Kennedy and Robert Byrd of Virginia. They were contemporaries of yours. They're both still around, critical of the current war in Iraq. Uh, That's right. Could you comment on on both those men? I think Teddy's worked out to be a a pretty good kind of a standard senator, and and so so has Bobby. Bobby's been a kind of defender of the Constitution. I guess you stay in the Senate long enough, you turn out to be all right. Now, you once entered Dwight Eisenhower's classic speech in the military-industrial complex into the congressional record. That's what they tell me. I, I, I entered it, but I, and they tell me I was the only one that did, that the Republicans were shying away from it. Uh-huh. But I did put it in the record. Do you see our current government as sort of being, well, 
unduly controlled by such powerful interests that Eisenhower warned us about profiting from war. Oh, it is, you know. Actually, de Tocqueville warned us in almost the same language as Eisenhower did. John Adams in 1780 said that the worst thing you could have in a constitution like ours is politics controlled by two parties. That was in 1780. Yeah. I sort of raised this issue in 76. I didn't get it quite defined, but there's a woman, political scientist at the University of Minnesota, has written a book entitled The Tyranny of the Two-Party System. And her attack on the two-party system is, is, is frontal. She challenges the labeling of the Republican and Democratic parties as parties and, and challenges all the claims that are made for the two-party system. And it's, it's amazing. I've just reduced it to the last roughly 50 years, but we had two parties that tolerated Joe McCarthy, you know. Yes, we did. I actually protected him. Yes, we did. One after one, no one would take him on. We had the two parties that promoted the Vietnam War, the two parties that promoted the Cambodian War, the two parties that promoted the invasion of Cuba. And we got two parties now that seem to be supporting a war in Iraq. That's right. Uh, two parties are uh, building up the military-industrial complex. We're very grateful to Roger S. Peterson for putting us in contact with Senator McCarthy. He um, uh, was unfortunately not able to talk to us on this week's show, but we will speak to him briefly on next week's program about uh, the early days back in Minnesota with Eugene McCarthy. Also, Hubert Humphrey, Walter Mondale, and other figures of national stature. All right, joining us now in the program to talk about a visit that we made to Senator Eugene McCarthy at his uh, retirement facility in Washington, D.C., is uh, KDVS's own general manager, Stephen Valentino. Welcome back to Radio Parallax. Afternoon, Doug. Thanks for having me. Now, I guess we should explain. Um, after we interviewed Senator McCarthy uh, on, on this station, we, 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 we called him in conjunction with visiting Washington, D.C., and suggested we might want to drop by, and he was very accommodating and said, sure. Well, yeah, it was so shocking for me to see someone who's been such a fixture in American politics o over the years and was such a force at a period, granted, quite before I was born, but still to just invite us into his house and sit down and talk to us after you've interviewed him for, what, 20 minutes once? Right. I mean, we, we I think we talked to him a, a couple of times either before and, and after. We were interested in having him do a follow-up. Uh, we actually did do a follow-up interview with him, unfortunately, the audio quality was just not usable. Right. That was that's quite unfortunate. But we did get, I think, you know, some pretty good snippets from him. So it was. I, I thought it was. I was just looking forward to meeting him in person. And uh, sorry to say that when you and I, I know we're walking past these other people at Prindy, we're going to go visit Eugene McCarthy. You want to come? And 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 they said no. And well, I think they missed out. Well, I think the allure of the open bar uh, that was being put on by the BBC was a bit too too much for them. <laughs> I'm sorry to sorry. To, <laughs> Sorry to reflect on that, but uh, <laughs> it, well, we spent about 90 minutes, I think, with him. About that amount of time, and we talked about just just about any everything you could possibly talk about with him. I mean, we, we went over his career in politics. Starting in 48. Starting and, in 48, mm -hmm. and then traced that all the way up to today, where he's he, up until his death, he was still writing and uh, still amusing on the American political system. Yes, Which I found impressive, personally. I would think after so many years, you just want to get out of it and just stop thinking about it. He was not one of the insiders in the Senate, and, and so, uh, you know, he was not one of Lyndon Johnson's people. And Johnson basically ran the Senate in the 50s with an iron hand. He had some very interesting stories about Lyndon Johnson, as I recall. Um, <laughs> the one that, I don't know about you, but the one that stuck in my mind was, he's on the Johnson Ranch, they're driving around a Cadillac with rifles. <laughs> That's his, right, right, right. His fellow Senator Hubert Humphreys with him. Now, Humphrey was... 
one of Johnson's protégés. He made an effort to, to, to sort of, you know, to butter up Hubert. Mm-hmm. And when they pulled up to where the deer were... Uh, you had would... to, yeah, you had to come out the top of the Cadillac, <laughs> which had the... <laughs> Right. And shoot the deer. Right. And he, he basically hands the rifle to Humphrey. Says, "Shoot that deer, Hubert." And Hubert's <laughs> kind of looking at him like, "Me?" He's like, "Yes, shoot the deer," <laughs> which he apparently proceeded to do. Well, the other uh, part of that story is that when he was elected vice president with JFK, and they went out to Lyndon Johnson's ranch to do the exact same thing, Kennedy refused to shoot the deer, and the Secret Service actually had to shoot the deer for him. <laughs> forgotten that and then lyndon johnson insisted that the deer be taxidermed and put in the oval office wow yeah what what johnson actually used to do with these taxidermed heads is that you know if you shot it it was a gift to you but but mccarthy mentioned that they would put replicas of lyndon johnson's (laughs) eyes into the deer so that lyndon johnson via a deer was always watching you no matter what you were doing Being old enough to remember the Lyndon Johnson presidency uh, and and a bit of his personality, I think that that just has a ring of truth to it. <laughs> well, he was certainly he was a very cordial cordial man, and and uh, he was noted for being a college professor, uh, a poet actually, uh, a published poet. And um, it just struck me that you know he was just a very down to earth guy. In talking to us, he certainly wasn't uh, wasn't any fan of the two party system, and and I think he you know saw it has as having a lot of shortcomings. But what's like? The punchline out of all this, I think, McCarthy, that really sticks out to me is that um, here was a guy who stepped forward to challenge an incredibly powerful politician. Lyndon Johnson was a guy who just, you know, pulled all the strings. You know, he he basically had uh, the FBI bugging Bobby Kennedy at the 64 convention. I mean, he was famous for using every every means available to him. Nobody Nobody would run against him. And it was McCarthy who decided, okay, if no one else will, I guess I will and stepped forward to take an anti-war stance and and uh, succeeded in driving Johnson out of the race in 1968. I mean, it's really a... Um, I was 15 at the time, and I just thought these sorts of things, you know, would happen in politics. And what, what I find most disturbing in, in the interim sense is that that's really a rare thing. It doesn't happen, particularly when you look at what happened to Howard Dean in 2004. Exactly. And what's happening right now, why is it becoming clear to so many people that, that we've gotten ourselves in another Vietnam is not someone coming forth like McCarthy to challenge the incumbent president. Well, I'm not going to be asking Hillary Clinton to do it, I'll tell you that. I guess not. And uh, during the course of our visit, I know, I know uh, Steve, he gave you like uh, several pieces of uh, literature he'd written recently, and I, I guess you've, you've, you've located some of those. Right, you know, and I think one of the most interesting uh, parts of, of one of this is, uh, at least in context of what we were just talking about with the two-party system, if I can just read this paragraph for Please. you. The record of the governments produced by two-party politics has been less than inspiring. Both parties gave continuing and irresponsible support to the anti-communism of the 1950s, competing with each other to establish which could be more extreme. Both gave continuing support to the Vietnam War, first through Truman in aiding the French, then through Eisenhower in sending in advisors, then through Kennedy in sending in special troops to protect those advisors, then through Johnson in sending over 500,000 combat troops, then through Nixon who extended the war into Cambodia. Both parties took turns under the two-party system in controlling the government in the years following World War II, during which time the United States went from being the most trusted and appreciated nation in the world to being the target of terrorists and the object of hatred on every continent except Australia, New Zealand, and North America. 
You, you can see why once he left the Democratic Party in the 1970s, he uh, he basically didn't didn't seem to have a whole lot of friends remaining uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, in the I, Democrats I w- or Republicans. With, with views like that, I could see how the dominant parties might try and derail any attempt you have to make a comeback in politics. And yet when you read that, I certainly think, you know, he's absolutely right. America could, could certainly benefit from having a, a strengthened, uh, you know, libertarian green or some other parties that might, you know, actually challenge the establishment party or the Republicrats, which... Uh, which, you know, sometimes don't look too different. I mean, witness Joe Lieberman right now trying to out-Republican the Republicans. I couldn't agree with you more, Doug. And let's, let's do a, just a final quote from, from the late senator, which I think really reflects his viewpoint. It shows why he was an odd choice to be a politician. He once said, being in politics is like being a football coach. You have to be smart enough to understand the game and dumb enough to think it's important. Yeah, well, Steve, thanks for sharing your recollections. Thank you. That was Stephen Valentino, KDVS's very own general manager. I think the nation owes quite a debt to uh, former Minnesota Senator Eugene McCarthy, and we'll talk a little bit more about him uh, on next week's program. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. We'll uh, talk about the passing of a couple other people in segment three and uh, some science topics and a few uh, miscellaneous matters. Stay tuned.